Sarah and George Joy Property Podcast. So welcome to the Sarah and George Choi Property Podcast. We help you to become financially free so you can quit your job and live your dream life. And um, today I'm got the pleasure of talking to Alan Donegan on starting a business with no money. I mean, that sounds pretty exciting. I like the idea of that. <laughs> so let me tell you a bit about Alan. So Alan is um, the co-founder of the Pop-Up Business School and it's something you should definitely check out. And um, it's helped over 7,000 people in six countries to start their own business. So that's, that's amazing. Now he is quite an outspoken critic on traditional business and financial advice. Um, and that's really gonna come through in this. And you know, he's gonna break the mold on what you think is normal. Um, he's got a, a great podcast, the Rebel Entrepreneur Podcast, and he has his own blog as well, the Alan Donegan blog. Um, so welcome, Alan. How are you doing? I'm great, thanks, George. I am great. I'm having a good day. I've got a coffee, but it's sweltering here in England today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 32, 32. All the windows shut, the fans off. <laughs> um, it's just going to be a nice sauna. I do actually have my sauna behind me. Maybe I should have just popped in there. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's that sauna in the background. Um, Okay, so um, let's let's just get in with some tips that people can use straight away. So, can you give me, say, three three to five things that your clients have done um, in order to start their business with no money? Give me some real real examples that people could apply today. Yeah, of course. So let's get straight in. Um, we do a bigger piece on five ways to start a business with no money, but broadly speaking, number one is what can you get for free. Because you can get a website for free, go to Wix, go to Weebly. I don't know why they all start with W, but choose one of those. WordPress. Um, Word, yeah. Uh, you can get on social media for free. And you can start reaching customers almost instantly. Uh, you can. There's so many things you can get for free to start. You don't need to spend money. So I would be, if I were your listeners i would be thinking okay let's make a list of everything i need to start my business and then can i get the stuff i need to start in the ways alan is saying so number one is can i get free stuff uh number two is what can i borrow because it's unbelievable what you can borrow at the moment there are empty shops empty buildings there is space everywhere uh we had an escape room team in Reading in Berkshire that started by borrowing a room in a hotel to do their first ever escape room and they managed to borrow a room for six weeks to launch their first pop-up version but you've got to think a bit broader about what can you get how, how, um, did, they, how did they do that deal how did he, they get the hotel to, to agree to it well they started by asking every venue in Reading uh, like they, this was not the first venue they walked into. Uh, they spent the entire day knocking on doors, asking hotels, restaurants, clubs, do you have any space? Can you lend us anything? And uh, they were on the verge of giving up. They were heading back to the car. And the last place they saw, you, you can't make this up, George, the hotel was called Great Expectations. Uh, <laughs> it's on the edge of Reading. They walked past. They went in one last place, met the manager, had a chat and he said, oh, we've got this room at the front of the hotel. We don't really know what to do with. Um, escape room sounds like it'll bring in people who will drink and eat afterwards. And if you've ever done an escape room, you need a drink afterwards. They're great <laughs> fun. Um, so it brought in, it was a symbiotic relationship that brought in business for the hotel and the restaurant and the bar and helped them set up for free. 
And in those six weeks, they were able to earn enough money to be able to put down the full deposit on their permanent venue. And I think it's about thinking differently to traditional because traditional says write a business plan, borrow at least six figures to do up your first room, prepare everything, make everything, spend the whole six figures and then put it on the market and sell it. Now, that's really risky. And people think entrepreneurship is risky. And it is if you do it the traditional way. It really is. That would scare the out of me. Um, but you don't have to do it that way. So I would say number two is borrow. Uh, shall I keep going, George? Oh, go, give me a couple more. I'm, I'm excited. Give me a couple more. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Want to know. Number three is what can you barter for? So it's incredible what you can swap skills for. And every one of you listening to this podcast has skills that other people don't have. You don't always realize it because what is natural to you seems easy, but that doesn't mean it's easy for everyone else in the world. Mm -hmm. And I think that really hits me. My wife is a natural with Microsoft Excel spreadsheets and stuff like that. She just thinks it's easy to manipulate data and create a spreadsheet. But to the rest of the world, they think that's really difficult. But mm. she thinks it's easy. So she doesn't always recognize her value. Yeah. Um, so it's recognizing, actually, some of the things that you find easiest are what other people will value the most. Mm. Yeah, um, so can you swap your skills? And I'll give you a real-life example uh, from up. We ran a, an event up near Liverpool. There was a lady wanting to launch her music career. Uh, she wanted to record her album. And she needed a studio, microphones, all of that stuff. And uh, she couldn't afford it. She mm. said, well, could you borrow one? Like the local college, <laughs> the local university, I bet you they've got a recording studio for their sound engineers and for their media courses. Could you borrow it? She mm. said, well, I don't know. Like, well, go ask. Let's find <laughs> out. Um, so she went and asked. And I said, well, I can't really just give it to you. Uh, but I'll tell you what, if you use our students as sound engineers, then we'll do a trade because you're giving work experience to our students and you can have the studio for free. Mm, so, well, ah, so you're offering me free labour and free studio. Maybe I should. Like it. So it sounds though tapping up your local university is quite an interesting idea then. They have unbelievable resources just lying around. Yeah unbelievable they buy all the machinery they buy all the kit they buy all of the stuff and it's just sat there with a bunch of students who want projects to do uh-huh. you've got to make friends you've got to add value back so bartering is all about an exchange of value mm. uh, so they have to become well off as well as you and i think people often forget that and they're just out to get what they can yeah in any of these things there is an exchange of value between yeah. the two people if you're borrowing something you better be offering value in return somehow yeah uh, if you're bartering it's a different type of value most people think that when they start a business they have to spend money as the value but it doesn't have to be money because when you start most often you've got more time than you do money mm. uh, you can exchange time instead yeah. of cash or you exchange skills or you can exchange your services there's so many ways to do it, so many ways. And I think people get stuck with it takes money to make money, George. That's the expression. And they go, well, I don't have the money. I'll give up and sit on my bottom. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I mean, that's one of the things we get in, I get in property investing um, quite a lot. The people say, I haven't got the money to do it. The question, well, there are two things. One, you might actually have the money to do it, but don't realize you have the money to do it. Because say, for example, it's trapped in your house. It's equity in your house. You can release it. Yeah. There's plenty of people out there that, you know, have got massive equity in their house and they don't realize that they could just remortgage, take the money out uh, and use it. And the other thing is there's, you know, there's other people's money where provided you have the right profitable deal and you have the right experience, they may be willing to invest in you. So again, two, two cases there where you don't think you have the money, but you can get access to it. Um, so I think that's, that's brilliant. And what I'd like to do now is just kind of start at the beginning to so pretend that Start at the beginning. Don't don't have a business, right? So say you're starting from the very beginning. You've got loads of ideas. You know, you're a bit concerned about your job, so you want another form of income. You want another stream of income now just to get some financial security. Um, You've got a number of things you're interested in. Um, You know, you don't know if any of them are going to make any money. How do you choose that first thing to start a business for? And how do you reduce your risks? What, What advice do you give people? So the key concept here is called the mini experiment. So let's take the ideas, run a few experiments and see which one we enjoy, which one the customers enjoy and which one makes money. Okay. And we take some of the ideas and go, which one can we test straight away? Um, can you talk me through um, an example of that? Yeah, of course. Someone taking what, it from right from the beginning. What's the only way to know if your business will be successful? Was the only way? If I've got money coming, if I've got a buyer, if yes. someone says, yes, I'm willing to buy it. If someone gives you cash, that's the bit. But yeah. when people have ideas, who do they most often go and talk to about them? Uh, well, normally they talk to their friends, their mum and the dad. And go talk to friends, family, have a chat. Go, now uh, that's too risky. <laughs> <laughs> Let's, just for a second, George, imagine uh, you're a really good friend of mine. You can reject me again afterwards. It's okay. I'm a really good friend of yours already. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm looking around to see what I've got. Let's imagine I came up with a new design of mobile phone case uh, and I came to you. I've got this new design. Um, I don't know what's different about it. It's a little bit more protected. It creates better sound at the bottom. Uh, what do you think, George? Yeah, it looks pretty cool. Have you got another one? And that's what friends say is, yeah, it looks pretty cool. Or yes, it looks nice. But is that good feedback? Not necessarily, no. Might just be trying to please you. Well, yeah, people will be nice to you until you ask them to take their wallet or their purse out of their pocket. Yeah, I've already got a cover. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) What you have to do at that point is look at George square in the eyes and say it's £20. Would you like to buy one? Okay. (laughs) Uh, I'm happy with my case. (laughs) That is the moment of truth Mm. in an entrepreneur's journey is when you put yourself out there and ask someone to buy, but everyone puts it off. Mm. And they put it off because they're scared about it, because they think to have, they need to have everything in place. They're perfectionist. They're afraid of rejection. There's so many reasons why they put it off, but they won't do the sales bit. Mm. So the mini experiment is let's take an idea. Um, what would be our idea? Uh, should we create a property board game together, George? Yeah, why not? Why not? Let's do that. Let's rip off Robert Kiyosaki. We'll create yeah. a property we'll board We'll do a better game. one. <laughs> it'd be way better than his. His is rubbish. Uh, and it'd be better than Monopoly. We'll be bigger than that. That's it. Yeah. Um, and let's do this board game. So what I would do is 
I want to come up with the idea and then see if anyone would buy it. So I would probably, within my friends and family, uh, I'd find someone who was good at design. Uh, we would lay out the board and the pieces and we might build a prototype together. That'd be actually quite a fun project. Everyone loves a bit of stationery and doing stuff like that. Like, let's build a prototype. And then what I would do is create a one-page website with pictures of the prototype, pictures of us playing it, and then I'd have a buy now button. And I would put it in front of a huge number of people that were either interested in the property market, interested in learning, or people who love Monopoly. Like you can find Monopoly groups online. If you like Monopoly, buy this. Yeah. And I would ask them to buy. If 10 of them buy, we've probably got a product. Yeah. Then we can produce those 10, ship them to them, and that's the mini experiment. Right. And then after you've done the first 10, you go, the three criteria to if it's successful. One, did I enjoy it? Um, because I always find this crazy, George. People can start a business doing anything. Why would you start a business you don't like? Mm, exactly. People say, oh, you shouldn't follow your passion. But I think they haven't really followed through on what the opposite is. Yeah. Like, the opposite is do something you hate. Something like, that seems nice. like, yeah. <laughs> like, I know what, I'll make my life really bad just to make a bit more money. Yeah. Um, it doesn't sound like fun. So number one, did you enjoy it? Number two, what's the customer feedback? Mm. Okay, we've got 10 sales. But are they playing it? Did they enjoy it? Your first 10 customers, you should make friends. Ring them, uh, email them, uh, go around their house, buy them coffee. Who knows what it is? Like, make friends, work out. Sound like a stalker. <laughs> uh, you need to know, do they, uh, do they like it? Is, it? is it a natural product? So do you like it? Do they like it? And then the last one is, did you make any money? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and maybe you broke even on the mini experiment, maybe even lost a little bit, but you can see how you could make money. That's okay to keep going. Um, but if you lost a lot of money, you didn't have fun and the customers thought it was rubbish, yeah. pack up the mini experiment, pretend it didn't happen and try something new. Right. Okay. How do you know you've set the, the, the price right? So let's say you put something out there and you say it's £2,000. And then no one buys it. How do you how do you know then from that experiment? Oh, well, actually, the product might be okay. I've just made it too expensive. Well, actually, there's a big assumption here that the price is too expensive. A big assumption. Yep. And uh, let me give you an example. Um, there was a uh, sort of one of these touristy type shops near the coast, and the owner had brought some topaz type jewelry to sell. And she put it in one of the glass cabinets at the front of the shop. She put it up, marked it up for the price. Uh, people were coming in, they'd look at it, and then they'd move on. And this jewellery stock sat there without selling for months. Eventually, she got fed up and went, well, I've just got to get rid of this stuff. So as she was leaving on holiday, she left a note for the shop person that was going to be looking after the shop. And she put times two, uh, slash two, like put it on a half price sale. Right. Uh, and left the note, went off, came back from holiday, cabinet was empty, and she thought, brilliant, that half-price sale worked. So she went up to the shop assistant and said, that half-price sale worked a treat, didn't it? The shop assistant looked a bit confused. What do you mean half-price sale? I thought you meant to double the price. 
and they all sold when the price was doubled. Mm. And it's interesting when you go into a supermarket and you're looking for wine, how do you judge it? Now, some people are actual wine connoisseurs and know what the wine is. Other people go, well, the label looks nice and that one's £7, not £5. I'll buy that one. Mm. And it's fascinating how often we tie price to quality. So the first challenge to you, your audience, is it's not always cheaper, better. That's not always the case. So I want to eradicate that assumption from entrepreneurs' minds. Yep. Sometimes you need to double the price right, to get sales. But what's the only way to know? Do a test, yeah. mini experiment. Let's put it on for double the price, show it to a different audience and see what happens. Mm. Let's do a quarter of the price, making sure that we can actually make money at that level because <laughs> one of the other things is quite often people sell too cheaply and they've not taken the total cost of production, transport, uh, heat, light, power, foam, time. They don't take all of that into consideration when selling, and that's a really critical thing to do. But yeah. the only way to know the price to set is to do some tests. And if you're doing it online, A-B testing is a brilliant way to do it. Yeah, Doing it in person, it's more difficult, but you can find different audiences and you can sense them out. Um, so... I know you've got some really strong views on business plans. So when a lot of people say start the business, the first thing is, right, I'm going to write a business plan. I'm going to do my SWOT analysis, pest analysis, and all this kind of thing, do all my financial projections. Um, what is your thought on that? Stop wasting your time. <laughs> You're <laughs> completely wasting your time doing all this stuff. Um, you will learn more from a one-hour conversation with a customer than you will from two weeks of internet research and writing stuff in a Word document that you will never look out again. So I would say, bin that, go and talk to customers first. Right. And I do this from experience. I spent two weeks writing a really long business plan when I launched my first business back in 08. And like, it was beautiful, George. It was beautifully written. It had colored graphs. It had charts. It had cash flow projections, which... Yeah. You make up and go, I think I can sell that much. Mm. Uh, it's complete and utter fiction. You yeah. get suggesting rubbish and you're like, well, the market in the UK is 27 million. So if I can just capture 1% and <laughs> number of times I've heard that rubbish, mm. um, it's just, it, it doesn't make sense. Like ben, I, I wrote all this business plan. Then I went to see a real life customer who basically said, I don't want any of that, Alan. Can you do this? Oh. And I had a moment at that point where I stuck to my business plan and didn't get any work. Yeah. <laughs> or if I gave it what he wanted and did yeah. get work. You can guess which one I chose. It's like, mm. well, I'll sell you what you want rather than what I've spent two weeks on my own thinking up. Right. Um, and just stop and go and talk to customers. Yeah. That, but people hide behind internet research because talking to real life people is scary. Like, mm that's why I get quite animated about this is because you're putting off the activity that will really make you successful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now I know you're quite against um, getting loans for businesses. Um, so under what conditions would you say it's okay to go and get a loan? Well, see, I have to be careful here because we're on a property show, aren't we? So there's a whole <laughs> different ball game. Uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about, <laughs> I'm not talking about property investing. I'm talking about if you're creating a trading business, 
which could be, you know, something with intellectual properties, doing a course, or it could be, you know, some something you've made in China and you're selling it on um, on various online shopping platforms. Um, so, or you know, or you're selling your services. So let's say you're a social media marketing consultant or something like that. Um, you know, so under what under what conditions for a trading business would you say yes? Go go out there and get a loan, and then given that you've said no, don't create a business plan. And then the lender will say, I want to see a business plan. How would you deal with that as well? So when would you do it? And what would you do about the, the business plan? So the only reason to write a business plan is if you are going for a loan from a bank or wanting to get investors. The right. only real reason that's the purpose of that document is to prove that you've done your thinking. So someone investing can give you money. Uh, so if you want to get a loan, you do need to. My opinion is you don't need to. So the businesses you listed, if you were writing a training course and selling it online, like why do you need a loan? You don't need anything. Just sell it. Mm. If you're going to do social media consulting services, why do you need a loan? Are you going to buy an office? Like, this is 2020. Work in a cafe. Yeah. Work on the beach with Wi-Fi. Work anywhere. Like, why would you? You don't need to spend money. Just make money. Mm. Um, the last one, buying products from China. Okay, so maybe, maybe there is a case that you've got a big retailer to buy a load of products from you, and you need the money to pay for it up front. Uh, there's a thing called factoring, where you can take the invoice you get, sorry, not the invoice, the purchase order from the retailer, and you can take it and get the money to put the order in. Uh, you can do something like that. But even then, I wouldn't bother. I'd use something like Kickstarter and I'd pre-sell the products. And then I would only ever buy the stuff from China if I'd already sold it. Okay. And I think that removes all of the risk from those things. And my business partner, Simon and I, we built a million pound training business and we've never taken a loan. Uh, one of our other trainers, she built a multi, multi-million pound business never took a loan, started from one email to Manchester City. She's got a phenomenal story. Um, there's so many businesses I know who haven't had to take loans. And I would do anything to avoid it. I'm slightly biased, George, because my dad went bankrupt for £3.6 million pounds, uh, back in the uh, 80s, 90s. And the only thing he had it secured against was the family home. Oh. Uh, which I then spent 15 years fighting with the bank and the courts to try and keep somewhere for my mum and I to live in. Mm. So I've seen the downside of if it goes wrong with that kind of entrepreneurship, and I would avoid it at all costs. Mm. And Simon and I have yet to find a business that we can't figure out how to start for free. Right. The problem that entrepreneurs will get is they'll go, well, that's great, Alan, but I want to make it big at the start. And they want to jump to the vision of having a shop, having a big place. Well, if you do that, you're missing out the learning steps along the way that will get you there. Yep. So quite often, do the learning steps, pre-sell, run a pop-up event, do this, do that. That will give you the learning to make the end one successful. If you jump to the end vision without doing the learning along the way, your chances of success, 50-50. Yeah. Um, so that's risky. I don't like risk. I hate risk. 
Yeah. I've built a load of business. People think, oh, Alan, you're an entrepreneur. You're out there doing stuff all the time. You, you're a risk taker. I'm not. I avoid it. And I'm quite conservative. But I will take a chance on my energy and my time. Those yeah. are two things I will risk. Yeah. I'm not risking my capital. I'm definitely not risking debt. And I've spent a long time, my wife and I have spent a long time getting to financial freedom. There's no way I'm trading that financial freedom yeah. for risk for more money that I don't necessarily need. Um, and even if I was starting out, I'd be doing the same thing. You don't need, yeah. you don't need debt. Stop. Yeah. Stop. Unless it's buying a property. Then do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you get to good debt, bad debt, don't you? Yeah, exactly. We good a whole debt, conversation debt. around good debt, bad debt. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I like it. Yeah, I'm also also low on the risk risk scale. Um, you know, as Warren Buffett says, um, it's words along the lines of rule number one, don't lose money. Rule number two, see rule number one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but he has his punch card theory, which I love. Which Explain that. Well, imagine you had a punch card with 15 things you could punch on it. And in your lifetime, you can do 15 deals. That's it. How would that change the way you react when the deal comes along? Mm. It would make you evaluate it more because you've only got 15 chances. Yeah. His idea is properly evaluate, take your time, work out what it is, really understand it. And then it's one of your few chances. Yeah. And if you think about it like that, you're a lot less likely to go gung-ho and dive in and have this, oh, I've got to do a deal. I've got to get into the property market now. It's spiking. I must do it. Well, take your time. Chill out. You've only got so many attempts. Like, start from there. And it changes your mentality. And I think there's such a drive to get wealthy quickly that it makes it dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. People do a lot of high-risk deals. Yeah. Mm. I've been on the other side. Uh, I've been selling family stuff at car boot sales to be able to afford food for the week. Mm. Like that's not where you want to be. Like take mm. your time, chill out, start selling, start making money. There is a way to do it without the risk that Definitely. really does affect people. Yeah. So thinking about your pop-up business school, you know, you see a lot of people coming in, coming in entrepreneurs and um, you know, some of them may have already started their business before coming through to you, what would you say are the top three, three mistakes you most commonly see and how do you avoid them? Top three mistakes. Um, number one, the number one mistake is not focusing on sales. And I think, well, if I say the word salesman to you, George, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Well, I think some people enjoy selling and some people don't. So those people that are quite extrovert tend to enjoy it. Um, I'm actually um, quite an introvert, um, so I. I the man on a podcast. I know. I know. This is a weird thing. It's taken me time to get comfortable being videoed. Um, I find it quite hard, even alive. I find terrifying. Um, but um, you know, so for me, selling I find quite difficult. That I feel really awkward about the idea of it. Um, but I know that if you don't enjoy selling, you're never going to be a good salesman. You're never going to be able to sell your products and you're never going to be able to help enough people. So, um, yeah. <laughs> and that's the whole bit is people put off sales. Mm. They'll sit there with their laptop working on their website rather than selling. They will work on their promotional flyer or they'll work on their product or they'll 
It's like the procrastination techniques. How do I know this? Because I've done them all. Uh, but it's the procrastination techniques rather than selling. And actually, like sales is the thing that builds your business. So then the number one mistake people make is they don't go out hard enough selling. And what I mean by hard selling is talking to lots of people, not pushy, because pushy yeah. is bad. So two reframes of what sales is, because lots of people think sales is a bad thing, but I think it's actually a good thing. Sales is the act of finding someone with a problem that you can solve and selling them a solution. Yeah. And if they don't have the problem that you can solve, leave them alone. Find someone else. Ask them who else to talk to. Um, Sales gets bad when it tries to push a product universally on everyone, whether they have the problem or not. Mm. Your job is to uncover, does this person have the problem you fix? Yeah. And the only way to do that is through questions. Yeah. And that's how you truly understand your customers and what you're doing. So that's the first reframe. And the second reframe, my favorite definition of sales. Sales is the transfer of enthusiasm from one person to another. So if you can go out there and get enthusiastic about what you're doing, whatever it is, the the property board game, I could get enthusiastic about board games, George. I could go out there, talk about that. I could get the kids playing it. We could teach them financial education at schools. Like I could get enthusiastic about that. We could do that. And I could infect other people with my energy. Mm. And if I can do that, we're most of the way there to the sale. Then I just have to ask for it at the end which is the other awkward bit that people don't do. They don't ask for the sale. Mm. They'll do their presentation pitch and they'll go, okay, here's my new phone case. (laughs) And they don't ask because they don't actually want to know the answer because they don't want to be rejected. Mm. And if you're not being rejected, you're not trying hard enough. So you've actually got to directly ask. None of this wishy-washy, would you buy? Uh, or how much would you pay? Like that doesn't help you. It is a very direct, it's £20. Would you like the first one now? Mm. And it's a yes, no, closed question. Use open questions at the start, uncovering what your problem, what the problem is. And then you go to closed questions at the end. There is a place for closed questions because they make things happen. Mm. Um, so if we wanted to make something happen after this podcast, you go, well, okay, when's the date we shall do it? Or would you like to do it Tuesday or Thursday? Mm. And it's that closed question with only two options that gets you to decision. So there's a whole bit around the one. Of, that's the area, George, sales. Sales, yeah. <laughs> Good. Um, so thinking, thinking now about the current economic situation, and lockdown and the way that's changed, even the way we shop now. Um, how? What's your advice to businesses starting up now? How do they? How should they best take advantage? Well, or to, to adapt to the new environment so that they are, you know, more more profitable. Well, I think there's a there's a giant question mark, which I hate this term, but what's the new normal going to be? Mm. And I don't know the answer to that. And I can't predict the future. All I can do is try and sell stuff that people want. And if they buy, I know I'm onto something. And 
in any situation, there are people who do very well and there are people who don't do very well. And recently, I saw a Kickstarter, incredibly successful Kickstarter for magic jigsaws. Mm-hmm. So each jigsaw you build has a magic, uh, what do you call it, magic trick within it that you can solve as you do it. Uh, and it's incredibly successful because people are doing jigsaws at home. Mm-hmm. And they've done a video, they've made it look nice, they had lots of people having fun and playing it. They had the guy doing the intro because he was a musician as well and liked jigsaws. They sold, I think it was millions of dollars worth. It's unbelievable. But it's about thinking about what do people need and want at the moment? Mm -hmm. My business, Pop-Up Business School, was an events business. We were killed by COVID almost instantly. We had global events cancelled, chopped, because we're physical face-to-face, like COVID killed it. I had an event planned with Google in their New York offices where Google was sponsoring a week-long pop-up. Like, this is the dream event, dream event. Uh, And then New York became the epicentre of the whole thing in America at the start, and it was all cancelled. And, Mm. like, stuff like that happens, and it's going to happen. Success is not that problems don't arise. Success is how you deal with the problems that do arise. Yeah, And actually, as you become more successful, you will have more problems. Mm. And it's about how do you respond to those problems and deal with them. So I don't really have a crystal ball that I can help. Mm. What I can say to people is, let's get out there and run a bunch of mini experiments. And that's exactly what Pop-Up Business School did. was, okay, let's trial selling a business resilience course to councils. Let's trial selling online courses. Let's trial selling this. Let's trial selling that. We threw 15 ideas out there, see which one bought. Then we know where to focus and then we can continue to get back on track. Yeah. So what have you done with your pop-up business school events then? So they were live. Have you held any virtually then since you have? Right. Yeah, the first one was with Westminster City Council, and we had nearly 250 people on the event virtually. Okay. It was phenomenal fun. Uh, it's different because everyone's in their houses, but it's still phenomenal fun. Um, so we've gone online with those events, which was a fairly easy transition. Yep. Uh, and then we're working, well, technologically, it wasn't an easy transition, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and then we're working out where to go from here. The challenge has been getting uh, risk-averse institutions to book physical events for the future when you don't know if you can run them or not. Yeah. Um, But we're bouncing back. We've managed to probably break even-ish throughout the COVID period, and then we'll come back out. Um, But I guess one of the main reasons I'm so relaxed about this is we had a huge emergency fund. So... We're a saving business. We don't spend money just because we've got it. I leave it in there. And we built up a huge cash buffer. So when COVID hit, we were going, well, okay, even if we don't make money for a year, we'll still be alive. Yeah. Which I think is the opposite of most businesses. Most businesses were going, holy Mm. moly, we're out of cash in a month if we don't sort this. Yeah. Um, So I think one thing I'd love to recommend to all of your audiences is like, Stuff is going to get crazier in the future. Things will happen. Build up a big emergency fund. Absolutely. Things can take you down 
yeah. you need to sort your finances out first, which yeah. we can talk about money for a long time. <laughs> I know. I, mean, I wrote about it in one of, in one of my books. Um, I called it my courage pot based on a bad experience I had many years ago. And um, so I recommend people put six to 12 months of their business expenses or living expenses, whichever is the biggest, um, and just keep that as liquid as you can because you just don't know when anything is going to happen. And here we go. Something massive happened. You know, we've got a year, a year's worth of money in the bank. Doesn't matter if we don't earn any money. So we can relax into it. We can make bolder decisions. We can bounce. And you're absolutely right. It gives you the courage to make bold decisions. You are absolutely right, George. Instead of coming from a place of fear and desperation and then doing something completely nuts, which loses all your money. Which customers can smell that a mile off? Yes, absolutely. Smell fear. (laughs) Smell the fear. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Um, So thinking about spending money, or maybe you have another way around this, you know, one of the things that people, you know, always say is you've got to do Facebook advertising. Um, You know, you you ought to put down like 10 grand a month or something in Facebook advertising um, to push, really push your product out there. what is your advice on that, How, getting exposure, getting leads on the, on the internet and so on? I think people do that too early. So putting down lots of money on Facebook adverts, if you've got the wrong customer and the wrong price, you're basically speeding up your demise rather than your success. Mm-hmm. Facebook adverts can be great if you've actually got it right, where you know I put £10 in, and I get three orders back and each order is making me 10 pounds. Therefore I'm making 30 pounds profit for every 10 pounds in. Mm-hmm. Well, if you've worked that equation out, well then just keep scaling the adverts because you'll keep scaling the profit. However, most people have never worked that maths out before they do it. What yeah. they do is go, okay, I'm going to put a sh- shed load of money into the Facebook ads. But I don't even know if I'm making money on the product I don't know what my conversion rate is. I don't even know if customers all buy. Like I'm, I, my mini experiment is 10 grand in Facebook ads. That's crazy, crazy. Find some customers, do some work, understand the metrics, understand the numbers, understand their profitability, and then only put money into scale once you understand that. And that can be a fabulous decision. But that's later in the business that definitely not to start. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, what about building your mailing list then? So that's the other thing they tell people to do. So, you know, spend money in advertising and build your mailing list at the same time. How would you encourage people to do that? Do you think it's a good idea? It's the first thing. And if you do, what would you say is the best method to do that? I, uh, building a mailing list, your list is the most valuable asset in your company. Lots of people think they are the most valuable asset. That's not true. It's all about me. No. (laughs) No. Uh, It's the list. Because let's say say you're launching a new product or service and you've got a list of a 1,000 people that bought the old one that you've got permission. We need to be careful with that bit, that you've got permission to market the new one to. If you send them an email saying, here's my new product and they liked the old one, like you could instantly get a bunch of sales. Um, it is so powerful, so powerful. So MailChimp allows you to have up to 2,000 people on an email mailing list for free to start with. 
So one of the things you can do immediately you build your free website is put a MailChimp form on and go sign up for updates or click for the latest product updates or whatever it is, however you want to capture those email addresses. But I think that's super smart to start capturing email addresses, contact details right at the start. Because then when you've got something to offer, you can go to them and say, okay, it's ready now. And you might even do this before the product is ready or the service is ready, George. Yep. You put up the one-page website and say, I'm thinking of doing this. Uh, I'm only going to launch it if X number of people put their email address in. If you're actually interested, put your email address in. And when I've got that, then I know I'm ready to launch because I've got enough interest. Yeah. Uh, and then if people sign up, you can launch the product to them and you've got a ready-made audience. So I think it's very smart to immediately put and plenty of other services out there. Like if you don't want to use MailChimp, I am not part of that firm. Use whoever you want. Um, but having that email capture form mm -hmm. is critical. And that will just gradually build up over the years until you go, wow, I've got a huge list of people who love what I do. Um, and this actually comes back to, have you ever read the article by Kevin Kelly called 1000 True Fans? Oh yeah, it's good. Mm. Classic article. And this is absolutely the way to build that up. And what Kevin Kelly surmises is if you had a thousand true fans that would spend a hundred pounds with you each year, you can make a hundred grand a year income. So if you're building your list right from the start and you're thinking, well, okay, I've added 20 people on this month and 20 people the next month, like that thousand comes quite quickly. Mm. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you've got a thousand fans that love what you're doing, that will buy what you're selling, and you're making a hundred grand a year. But it's having that long term focus of building up the list. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Sounds good. Um, I guess the other thing is um, if you, you know, if we're thinking about the product, product staircase, so taking people from, <laughs> so taking people from say free content to like exactly like we're doing here. So it could be a podcast, it could be a blog, um, or it could be a leaflet or something like that. Taking them from that to high ticket items. What's your advice on the process of, of doing that? So I think Simon and I have a sort of dating analogy is imagine the high ticket item is a two-week vacation uh, if you just met someone new and you immediately said do you want to go away for holiday for two weeks for me I, I, I meet a, a girl we go out and I say great we've met come away for two weeks with me on holiday she's gonna go what are you talking about like this is scary <laughs> can't we go out for coffee first can't we go out for dinner first uh that kind of analogy, if you're going for the high ticket item immediately without building up trust and credibility, you're going to scare off the customers. So it is about what can you sell them that's low risk to create an interaction, to create a good experience, to create trust, to create uh, that you're a real person that delivers on what you're saying, and then build up to those bigger things. It's very difficult to sell the 20 grand whatever immediately. Um, and how we how I used to do this with my training business was I would sell a day course uh, and people would experience it and like it. And then they buy the two day course and people would experience it and like it. Then we talk about the week long course. Uh, then eventually we're selling the two week long course. 
then eventually we're talking about the permanent building with the school but you don't get straight to the permanent thing you go up that staircase up that ladder so I think you're absolutely right and it's building trust with initial purchases that are low value or indeed free which is your kind of in internet terms you would call it your lead magnet Mm -hmm. so it's the free thing you put out there that people get massive value from that brings them in yeah Uh, when you've got them in then you can have a conversation about what to do next yeah no sounds good sounds good um so thinking about the model that you mentioned for your pop-up business school the fact that you were you know for example you were doing something with a with a council uh, and you've done it with various other companies um how have you if someone wanted you had some kind of product or service that they wanted to instead of trying to sell individually to go to a company and kind of sell a, a bundle like that how 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 have you gone about that so there is a it's a definite a di- different game so in business terms you would call it b2c business to consumer or b2b business to business they are different games and depending on the value of the sale will depend how you do it. If you're selling something to a business that's worth 20 grand plus, they will want to look you in the whites of the eyes, see if you're real. Uh, Well, actually, in nowadays terms, in COVID, they'll want to zoom into your eyes rather than (laughs) see you physically. (laughs) They still want to like, are you real? Mm. Um, If you're selling something that's 100 pounds, 200 pounds, you might be able to get them to buy through a website. Uh, depending on what the purchase is. If it's a couple of grand, they might buy by phone. If it's a bigger purchase, they'll want to actually have a proposal. They'll want to meet you. There's all sorts of steps you have to go through. The one thing I would say is business to business sales. And people might find this weird, but there is still no better tool than a phone call. Mm. Like If you want to make things happen, ring someone. Yeah, And I think people put off phone calls for lots of reasons. Like we spoke a little bit about introversion and extroversion earlier. Yep. People put off phone calls for so many reasons. Mm. There is still no better tool than a phone call. And just to give you an example, uh, there was a young lady we were coaching. She's launching a coaching business. And she sent me a, a message saying something along the lines of, we were hoping to get some corporate customers. And my ears went hoping, yeah. hoping, hope is not a business strategy. There is no hope. There is no hope. You either do it or you don't. Mm. And I sent one back saying, oh, that's interesting. So you were hoping to get some corporate work. How many people did you phone or email? And she replied with none yet. Mm. And I'm like, oh how are you hoping you get corporate work if you're not ringing any of them, emailing of any of them or getting out there? You can't just, fingers crossed, I put my website out there. I hope business comes in. And that's the worst strategy you can have. So if you're going to B2B, stop messing about. Email, call, contact. Like You need to build trust and credibility over a period of time with this business for them to be able to buy into you. So stop messing about and get on the phone. Mm, that's good advice there and um, (laughs) yeah um so in terms of let's say if you were going to train them in something um i don't know it could be on you know change changes in regulations in a certain market or something and you're you're an expert on this whatever it is tax or whatever um and you're going to go to 
you know, a council or any other or a company um, and you want to sell this to them, let's say you're going to do it over Zoom in the current situation, would you norm, do you normally do it or are you normally doing it on a kind of person by person basis when you sell it to that company? Or do you say, you know, my rate for this event is this amount of money, put as many stuff as you want in that in that meeting. It doesn't matter to me because I've got no costs. How do you generally advise people to tackle that? Well, you can do it any way you want to. Um, there's advice both ways. It doesn't really matter. Just sell them something. Uh, me personally, <laughs> me personally, I sold a flat rate for the courses. And then I said, it's like six to eight people, more than six to eight people in the course, they don't get the same value out of it. And um, so I kind of had a cap on the number, but I didn't really care up to that number. Right. If I was running a big talk, like it's very different. If you're running a big talk and you've got 250 people in there, then you could charge them per head and you could say, actually, it's this. Or they might just want to pay a standard day rate and send as many people as possible. Mm. Um, but it's whatever you can negotiate as you go. Uh, one of my friends who is a professional speaker, he always had his analogy was it's a price of a cup of coffee. So he would do an hour long talk and he'd say, well, OK, you're going to get 200 people along it's the price of a cup of coffee. So 200 times three pounds for a Starbucks coffee is 600 quid. It feels very cheap per person. Yeah. If you're doing a small level training, then you're saying, well, okay, it's 1500 quid for the day for six of you. That's expensive per head. Just stick with the day rate uh, and they'll kind of get that number. Right, right. So what you're saying is it depends. Yeah. Yeah, there's no straight answer. Just sell them something. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. So I think you've, had, you've given us all some great advice. Um, I was just wondering what, what, what three books have you most recommended to people starting um, their first business? I've recommended lots of books, but George, can I controversially say your audience, if they're listening to this podcast, they've probably written, read a lot of books. I'm going to controversially say, stop reading <laughs> and go and speak to a customer. Like, that's my advice is stop reading books and go and sell something. That's how you start a business. That's how you learn. And there is a place for learning. But most of the people who listen to podcasts binge listen and they've heard all of the advice. They've read all the books. They've done all this stuff. Like If you're one of those people, stop reading and start selling. Yeah. I mean, I have a principle of my own, which is whenever I read a book, I aim to take at least one piece of action out of that book and I go into it with the intention before I even open the first page. I think, okay, I'm going to take action on something. What's it going to be? And the same with the course. Um, I try, I try and say, right, you know, by the, by the end of this course, I'd have done something. Now, sometimes it means that I'm not actually not interested in doing that thing. And that was, <laughs> that, that was the action that came out of it. But, but at least I know, at least that was an action, a decision. Um, but yeah, so I can see what you're saying about inaction, people not doing anything. Because I think um, people make this stuff too complex. Mm, like they make it far too complex. Stop thinking through your funnels. Stop thinking through your lead magnets and stuff and just go and sell something and speak to a real-life customer because mm. you'll learn more in an hour with a real-life customer than you will reading two books. Yeah, yeah, like, definitely. Stop. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> so if you could have you know, a gigantic billboard and spread you know, one message or one quote to the world. It could be your favorite quote if it's not something that you want to have as your message. 
what would you like to um, say to the world? So my message, George, and I know I dodged your last question, but I think it's an important answer. I got a straight answer for you this time. My The quote I'm really living by and has driven me for about the last 10 years, well, I have two. Can I have two? Yeah, you can have two. Why not? Two billboards. <laughs> so the first billboard would be everything you want in life is outside your comfort zone. Mm. Otherwise, you'd already have it. And it's that process of stepping outside your comfort zone. So I've given some challenging advice. Get on the phone, go sell, speak to customers. If you're thinking, I don't want to do that, Alan, well, that's exactly what you should do then, because that's what you need to do to be successful. Yeah. Everything you want in life is outside your comfort zone. Asterix, otherwise you'd already have it. That's the, that's one of them. Um, And the second one, which when I said the quotes that have been driving me, I have this written multiple times through my goals book. Uh, The extraordinary belongs to those who create it. Mm -hmm. The extraordinary belongs to those that create it. And I think that's really driven me to think, what am I actually building? What am I actually creating in my life? Yeah. Like Katie and I got to financial independence. I was 40, she was 35. Uh, and we managed to buy back 25 years of our life compared to the average retirement age. And we built an incredible life. And now we're thinking, what else can we build? What else can we create? Mm. And it's down to you. And I think that's the key bit of that expression. The extraordinary belongs yeah. to those that create it. Uh, and if like, Go work for someone else, create someone else's extraordinary future or create your own. It's up to you. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Powerful. <laughs> so <laughs> if people want to contact you or follow you, where, where should they look? So I guess the three different things, depending on what you're interested in. Uh, the pop-up business school courses are all completely free. Uh, we get them sponsored by councils corporate organizations, housing authorities and associations so that the course is free for you. So just go to Pop-Up Business School and have a look at the events. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a podcast called Rebel Entrepreneur, which is all about starting businesses and making money doing something you enjoy. And then finally, if you're interested in financial independence and cash, I have a little blog called alandonagan.com and you can find me there. You'll see my face on the front. ripping up a business plan. Uh, but yeah, those are the three places people can find me if they're interested in more. Brilliant. I'm sure there will be. Uh, I'll put some links down down below in the description so people can just click on that and find you straight away. Um, so um, thanks thanks very much, um, Alan. Um, if you enjoyed this interview, please um, subscribe um, and visit mycastleproperty.co.uk. Definitely check out um, Alan's things. So it's um, goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Thank you for tuning in.